and hit record. We're going to jump right in. And I'm really excited about today's message because these are questions that you have asked me or that things that you said we want to talk about. And I go through the list and if something jumps out at me, you know, I'm going to say, okay, I believe this is what I'm supposed to talk about or what I'm supposed to share. When I grew up in the church, you know, my experience was the pastor always determined what it was that the people were going to get. And we didn't often get an opportunity to ask questions or say, hey, can we talk about this? This is what I really need because I don't know, you know, it was just one of those things. I'm not blaming pastors for doing anything wrong. I'm just saying sometimes fresh direction can also come from the people that you are blessed to share life with. And so from time to time, we're going to do that because I believe that some of the suggestions and insight that you provide is very valuable to the entire group. And if it's a subject I feel like I can address in a short post, I'll do that. But this particular subject that we're talking about today is going a little bit deeper. So you've had a chance to look at what the Scribal Conservatory is all about. I'm going to skip right down to our four principles. And the first one is transforming nations, which is renewing the mind, renewing your mind, and you know, Romans 12 and 2, reinforcing covenant, which is Hebrews 8, 6 through 13, which is very important. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. And I just want to say this, and I, I haven't said it in a while, but anything that we learned that was of the old covenant, it needs to be pressed under the truth of who Jesus is. The, the, it needs to be pressed under that truth. So that's really what that means. We have to see how Jesus elevated whatever was taught because he is the word, right? The word, he was the word made flesh. So we have to see how he elevated the old covenant concepts and brought them into the new covenant. So we focus heavily on that. If you're ever wondering what's going on and why we don't teach heavily from, from old covenant scripture, we do at times, but we always bring it into present day. So I'm elevating Christ above men. I believe that the spirit of this age is so heavily focused inward and it's, it's making idols of people. And I've always been a person that couldn't stand idolatry, especially people idolatry. So we focus on elevating Christ above men, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Well, Hebrews 3 is really good at explaining that, but it just says that Christ is worthy of greater honor than Moses. Moses was great. Moses did exactly what God told him to do, but there came a time when we had to shift our eyes away from Moses to Christ. So that's what that's about. And then lastly, increasing understanding. Again, ask questions. Make sure that that is a part of who you are. I want to recommend that you listen to the teaching um, called The Responsibility of Sonship. That's a very important teaching. It's inside the Scribal Conservatory Bible Study Group. I know some of you recently joined the conservatory. I'm very grateful to have you. We've had our one-on-one -on -one conversations. We'll have more of those and we'll have more within the intimate group here in Atlanta. So it's so good. We have about 
Um, we have about five new people. Um, two won't be here today, but I'm really, really excited about those who are here. Um, more than that, but this is within the last week. So I'm really excited about what God is doing. Also, um, our roots, we're concerned with our roots growing down deeply in the Lord. The spiritual maturity is pretty much over everything that we teach, whether it's in the scribe school, whether it's here in the conservatory, wherever it is, that's always going to be a calling. And I just want to let you know that it's the calling of all Ephesians 4.11 ministry, you know, ministries. The whole thing is that we grow up in him and Ephesians 4 teaches that we're all on the road to maturity. So if you are an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or any type of leader inside the community of the brethren, you're, you're called to raise people up to a place of maturity. That's the whole point. The whole point is to become like him and to reach Christ in his fullness. So this is how you can contact us, um, find out more information, those kinds of things. And Bible study is on Tuesdays at 7.30. I apologize for this last Tuesday, but we will be available this Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. And we're going to talk about this subject that we're talking about tonight. So we'll have a good conversation around it. I'll be leading Bible study and the um, services for the next few weeks. Also, I just need to let you all know that we do have a podcast for the Chamber of the Scribe, a tie to the Scribe School. So if you can, please connect with us. It's on the Charisma Podcast Network. I hope you guys know what a big deal this is, not for me, but for the reach of our message. I was even asked to do the SEAL School on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that right now. I need to establish that more so that it's fully associated with our ministry before I start spreading it out to the world. So I'm, I'm seeking God on that, but that's one area that I've been asked to, um, to re request it to teach. Um, people are very interested in that teaching, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on you know um, some other podcast networks. So just look for it. We're having some problems on Spotify, but we're working through it. So we're not there right now. We were, but then we were accidentally removed. So anyway, just want to tell you about that. And that's how you give. And I'll be able to maybe put this screen up later as we close, but I don't want to spend too much time here. But if you would like to give and if you would like to bless this ministry, please do. It does cost, even though we're online, there are still financial things we have to take care of. So whatever you want to do to help, that's wonderful. So listen, one of the things you asked to talk about was God's perfect will versus his permissive will. Now, in order to really teach this, I have to do it in parts. And we can't just jump in and say, this is what it is. We can do that. But you know, within the conservatory, there's always some kind of twist or a different perspective that we're going to bring forth. And I really think this is going to bless you. It's going to be freeing. That is going to give us a lens by which we can study this out even more. And it's my hope that you're able to take hold of this 
and really see your life differently than how you've seen it before. I want to just clarify our direction with this teaching, though, before we before we even start. Number one, we're teaching it conservatory style. So I'm not trying to agree with whoever else has been teaching this. So this is just our perspective on this. And it's based on some of the feedback that I've gotten from you concerning what we need to teach in the conservatory to help you clarify and direct your own lives. You also need to know that there are many schools of thought on this subject. So as it relates to theology, I think this is significant because the theology on God's um, perfect will versus his permissive will is broad. There's a Catholic discussion on it. There's an evangelical discussion on it. There's a charismatic um, Protestant aspect you know, discussion on it. So there are multiple avenues that we can walk down with this. So what I want you to know right off the bat, you're free to believe as we all are, whatever you want to believe about permissive will and about perfect will. I'm giving you a different perspective that I believe is, is in line with the scripture. But when it comes to theological concepts like this, you will rarely find agreement. But I believe what I'm sharing with you is where the conservatory stands on this, which I do believe is important. So if you're part of the conservatory, this is our perspective of where we're coming from on this topic. But if you have friends that have different backgrounds, different church groups, they will not agree with you maybe on some of these points. And that's okay. We don't have to be in perfect agreement with, with this particular theological concept because I'm teaching it in a way um, or building it in a way that will give us a clear path to understanding what I believe is the perfect will of God versus the permissive will of God. Our first premise is very simple. We talk about this all the time in the conservatory. So I'm not gonna teach on it today, but we need to know God's end game and we need to know God's intention. I can't even begin to tell you since I started ministry, I've always been looking at what is God's end game? What is, what is his outcome? And we know at the end of the day, God has one desire and that is that we be one. All of us come together to fulfill his vision of the perfect church. And in eternity, that is already done. That is already done. The second premise is this. God has given us free will. Now, this is where the core battle of the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God comes into play. We won't be digging into those concepts. So there is a way to teach this that I believe that touches on the concepts that are surrounding free will. And some of you know the discussions about predestination and you know all of that. So a lot of this is around that. So I can't avoid talking about it, but the way that we're talking about it is clarifying um, a line of thought for the conservatory. So you cannot talk about this subject without examining and looking at free will because there's no doubt we have it. I believe we have it. But then some schools of thought, you know, they believe everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. So, you know, you have that. So this conversation is too big for one person. 
So what does that mean? That means that the only thing I'm giving you with this conversation is a, a perspective, is a perspective. So before we go any further, I just want to know that you guys are following at least these things with me before we jump in, jump into this, that you can see where I'm going with this part of it so that we have a clear understanding because there should be no reason to fight over who's right or who's wrong with this particular area. Does this make sense to you? You can share in the chat. Yes, no, I'm, I'm following you. We're, we're moving along. I would love to get your perspective on that before we dig in. The last one point here is simple. Just know that this is a controversial topic in many, 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 many circles. All right. All right. So here we go. Let's see. Did I click that? Okay. Yeah. What is God's perfect, complete in all his parts, will for us or for you? What does this mean? What is God's perfect will? What does it mean to be in God's perfect will? So we're going to start this from the point of just looking at God's perfect will as it relates to his eternal intention or his end game. So that's how we're approaching this topic. And I think that's the principal way that this conversation should be approached. Because remember, we always want to know what God intended. We always want to know what God will. So if we're going to talk about perfect will. We need to talk about it from the eternal perspective. So first principle, the eternal perspective of God's will. Now, the word perfect, as it relates to this conversation, means to be complete in all its parts. So important that we understand this. It's to be complete in all its parts. This is the type of definition we're embracing for perfect. Perfect is not you doing everything right as a person. It's being complete in all the parts. And God is perfect. The scripture tells us that he is perfect in all of his ways. So in order for us to really understand the perfect will of God, we need to know what is it that makes God perfect. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later. That's not a part of the conversation right now. But just remember, if you're going to walk with me through this particular conversation, we must see that the word perfect is defined as being complete in all parts. And God is whole. He's not broken. He's not shattered. He doesn't shift. You know, he is complete in all parts. So that is the first thing that I really want you to grab hold of right now. We must also recognize that there is an eternal perfect will, one of spirit and one of sonship. So if God is perfect in all his ways, what we need to recognize is that there is a perfection in sonship and that perfection is in the realm of the spirit. So God's perfect will, because he is eternal, because he is a spirit, is going to be in this place of wholeness. It's going to rest in things that cause us to be a part of the eternal plan, not the temporal one where we're wearing these flesh suits right now. 
So I, I, I hope that that makes sense to you. It's about the state of your whole inner being. This is very important. So the perfect will of God, as it is discussed in scripture, from what I've been able to study out and understand, is about being whole. You know, be holy for I am holy. That's the perfect example of the perfect will of God. Be holy for I am holy. I want you to see that that is an example of the perfect will because the perfect will of God are, is, is his internal, eternal aspects of who he is. Those things that he is not compromising, that he is not setting aside for anyone, for anyone, and they all exist on the side of eternity. It's about divine outcomes in the heavenly realm. So when we talk about God's perfect will, we have to look at his divine outcomes. What is the divine, what is the eternal outcome of this particular situation? So when God says perfect will, or when we think perfect will, we're looking in that direction. You guys are really quiet. <laughs> I'm hoping that um, what we're sharing so far is connecting because again, we're building in order to really follow this teaching and the next few teachings that we're going to do on this, these are foundational things that we really have to grasp a hold of. One, there's an eternal perfect will. And those things are things God has put in place that are unchangeable, immovable, that can't be shaken, that can't be reasoned. Two, it's about the state of your whole inner being. God is whole and he wants us to be whole. He sent Jesus so we could be made whole. <laughs> you know, he resurrected Christ to perfect our wholeness. So it's not just our temporal trouble and our temporal struggle in the earth. And it's not just our earthbound concerns that fall into this conversation of the perfect will of God, and the permissive will of God. Third, just remember, God is the perfect, complete in all his parts. And so everything that he does, everything that he sets in motion is set in motion or has been or was really because we're in God's future past. <laughs> and I love that. Uh, Mark Sharona talks about that in one of his books, I love some of the books he's been writing lately. And I'll just say, he talks about the future past. God's in the future, but we're in God's past. Long story, but it's, it's just a beautiful concept if you're able to um, grasp that. So, and it puts us back in this place with God's perfect will. And I love this image. It's a stock photo image. And it's amazing to me to see this because most of us every day looks like this. She's not necessarily lost because sometimes we think we're lost. We don't know where we're going. And that's true sometimes. But for the most part, every day we wake up seeking direction. We wake up seeking what it is that God wants us to do. What is your perfect will, God? I want to be in your perfect will. Now I'm going to challenge you with something. What if the way we see this is more of a religious mindset 
than it is what perfect will really means. I want to throw that out there. Because I've noticed that in my own life, I put a lot of pressure on, I just want to do what God wants me to do. It's like this battle of making sure I'm following a law or I'm following a rule or I'm following this place that is so succinct that if I teeter off one spot, I'm going to fall over and ruin everything. Is this how we see perfect will? Is, is this how you're seeing it? It's an earnest question because I my, my challenge to you is this, is that how we see it in these temporal bodies or is this really about an eternal question? Oh my goodness. I hope someone has caught that. You guys are too quiet. You're too quiet. I can't really see anything on my end so I don't know what's happening but for example before I move on because I am moving on from this um what I for example if if God is perfect if he sent Jesus as his only begotten son to deliver us to save us and if he accomplished that through the crucifixion and he rose, then Christ is the perfect savior, the perfect deliverer. If we live in him, then now Teresa who lives in Christ and now Christ who lives in Teresa is able to perfect her faith, the perfecting of my faith through my relationship with Jesus Christ. So is what I am perfecting on the eternal side in which God says, I'm, and you are my son or you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased because your perfection has already been made in Christ or are we a people trying to cause perfection in a temporal realm? I hope you guys hear this. Are you following? Are you following? Because if we don't get past, thank you, if we can't move past this particular part, I think we're going to miss what God's perfect will is. Listen, because his perfect will is that I be a immersed believer. That every day I wake up to be the best version of who he has called me to be possible that I wake up every day able to make the best possible decision I can make, not based on emotionalism, not based on my feelings that day or, or what somebody else has said, but based on my ability to tap into what is eternal. Oh, goodness. Somebody's going to catch this in a minute. I, I, I believe that we have made perfect will a religion. And we have made it about right and wrong choices. And, and, and it is about right and wrong choices. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think we've made it about, I'm trying to find the right words, God, help me. 
We've made it about stumbling and falling and believing if we fall or stumble or make the wrong choice, even though even though our capacity doesn't allow us to, to reason beyond what we're able to do, but we blame ourselves because, oh my God, I made the wrong decision, but I thought this decision was right. So if I thought this decision was right, then I made the best decision I could make at that time with the intel that I had, the deadline that I had, and the capacity that I'm walking in. So then if that's the case, then why am I beating myself up and condemning myself and worrying about the perfect will? Remember, we're in Christ, right? We're growing. We're learning. If all I know to do today with that recipe is pop it in the microwave, that's all I can do until I learn how to cook a five-course meal without a recipe. We can only do so God's perfect will, God's perfect will is not really tied to those kinds of things. Can you see it? Can you see it? This is, um, again, I, like I promised you, we're teaching conservatory style. We're moving in a different type of view because I want to shift your hearts and your minds so we can have a, a broader understanding of this. So I'm going to have you go with me real quick to, um, I'm going to try to remember to do these scriptures in this order, but I'm going to ask you to go with me first to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So let me go ahead and flip the screen. Where are you scriptures? There you are. So I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. I use this a lot, so don't pay any attention to the colors. Um, first, well, not first Colossians, but Colossians 1, 15, it says this. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in the faith, if you move toward what is perfect, if you continue to stand established and form, if you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is very, very important because when we look at Colossians 1, 15 through well, the whole book, but 
15 through um, 20, 23. I didn't even finish reading it, but you're going to see that first we see the perfect. We see that the supremacy of God, as the headline shows us here, reveals to us the perfect. So there is a there is this perfectness about who God is, about who Christ is in us and through us. And there's a perfect here. But we've also been called, listen to this, into what is perfect. And this perfection is what is the ultimate will of God. It's what gets us to his end game. It's this place of understanding once Teresa was alienated, but not anymore because she's now entered in with the perfect and she's being made perfect every day. I was once an enemy of God in my mind. I was once, but I'm not any longer because I am reconciled to Christ by his physical body through death (laughs) to present Teresa in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If I continue, if Teresa continues in the faith and is firmly established in the faith and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, I am still perfected in Christ. What does that mean? It means that every day I get up and make a conscious decision to make the best choices, to make the best decisions that I am capable of making in this moment. And in doing so, my pursuit of God defines the perfect will in my life. Oh, you guys, this just, it blesses me. It blesses me because it destroys religion. It destroys those religious mindsets where people are so worried. Am I in the perfect will? And I just want to know if I'm doing what God has called me to do. They're obsessed. And it is really a religious mindset, a dangerously religious mindset because it sets us in, in works thinking we have to do something more to please God. When the only thing required for perfect will is to pursue what is perfect. Oh, well, it's blessing me. I'm really hoping that you guys are are able to follow because we try to be perfect. We want to be, we want to do all the right things. I just know that I've made a lot of mistakes. I always want to be in God's perfect will. I'm always longing to be in God's perfect will. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know if I have enough intel to always be in his perfect will. I'm learning every day. So either I'm going to obsess in that place or I'm going to say I'm perfectly pursuing you. I can say that. I'm giving everything I know to my pursuit in God. I'm praying, immerse me, drown me, drench me. Teach me to love your word. Teach me to love you, God. God, whatever it takes for me to know what is your good and perfect will. Because listen, the good and perfect will is right here. It's right here. It's so simple. He says it. 
If he said, I want you to continue in your faith. I want you to be established and firm. I don't want you to move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Perfect will is really, for us, is perfect heart posture with God's eternal intention. I know you're saying, but I want to, in my life, I, I, I want to be, if I'm going to marry this dude, I need to know that it's the perfect will of God. I'm going to share this with you. And it's going to hurt religious people. There is no way to know the, the decisions that are in the natural realm that are not a part of eternity. There are no guarantees for the, the, some of the decisions we make in the earth and our temporal condition. Gonna let that sit for a minute. Everything, if I make a decision about a job today, is that even a conversation of perfect will or is that a conversation of what is permitted or what is allowed? or what may be necessary. If you're making the absolute best decision you can make and you're convinced that you have the peace of God concerning this decision, if you're convinced that this is what God wants you to do, then you are walking and, 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 you, and your life is fully established, your faith is firm, you have the hope held out for the gospel, your pursuit is on the right path, you can rest assured that God is probably with you in that. Oh, this is a hard concept to convey. But I want to be able to show us that some of the things that, now it's an important decision to your life in the earth realm, but is it a part of eternity? Because God's perfect will is looking at those things and focused on those things that add to eternity. So Teresa, what is the perfect will for your life that I be whole? That I be of one mind with God? That I mature? That I not focus on things that I can't take into eternity? For me to be in the perfect will of God has, oh my goodness, please don't take this wrong, has nothing to do with my temporary condition when I am a son given wholly and fully over to the righteousness of God. Wow, I don't know. I'm just hoping that you all are hearing what the Lord is saying right now. Our desire is for God. Our desire and longing and desperation is for God. So if I am a wife, and I am, I'm a wife, and I want to know what God's perfect will for me is in the situation of my marriage, then I know that God wants my marriage to be like Christ and the church. 
So there has to be a place of that eternal vision operating in my life to the best of my ability. Am I making the sacrifices necessary for that to manifest in my life? In other words, I need to do everything that I can like Christ to be blameless. Christ is in a marriage with us. But when we look around, we see how can he be married to people that act like that? But he's done everything on his part to be perfect in spite of everything that we have done to defile the marriage. Oh my God. The will of God, the perfect of God lines up with what God wants. And he waits patiently for us to recognize what is the perfect. Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Oh gosh, I just, I don't know if you all are grasping this. I'm not, you know, I, I hope that we can have a wonderful discussion at the end, but this is the heartbeat of how God has explained it to me. So look, I'm going to move on from there. I'm going to move on from there and I'm going to flip back real quick to our screen because I need to see what scripture I'm supposed to go to next. So just bear with me. Okay, we're going to look at Ephesians 1. 3 to 11. We're just going to look at that real quick. Um, all right, so hold on. <laughs> so it says this, um, it says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I know I talked to you a little bit just briefly about predestination in, in the sense of the controversy that we often hear. But what I want you to see here is not that word. I want you to see how I want you to see what is perfect to God or what his will is that is perfect. So his will here is for us to enter into or to receive or acknowledge or come to understand that um, we are adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. We're going to talk about this more next time. We're going to talk about this part because this is huge. In accordance with his pleasure and his will. We don't have time to address the pleasure part right now. What we're talking about now is the will part. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
This scripture is important because we are able to see his, his goal, his end game. We're able to see what he really wants. And I just, we in the conservatory, we talk about this so much. It's so important that we view our salvation along the lines of what he wants and how we're fulfilling heaven, uh, fulfilling his mandate by being together even now. It's to bring this unity. But listen, he says this, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And we know that Paul is talking about the first people that made up the first church and and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. So I hope that this is making sense to you, what we've shared already. I told you it was going to be a little different. We have to get to a place where we are free to understand and break things down as they fit within the vision of what God has called us to. But I want you to know that I believe sometimes, again, that we make knowing God's perfect will a complete religion instead of understanding the simplicity of it. The simplicity of it. Here's another scripture that people use, Romans 8. 28 to 31, it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We see the abuse of this scripture all the time. But the significance here is all things work for the good of those who love him. And to love God is to pursue what he considers perfect. It's to pursue our righteousness is to pursue him, pursue his will, pursue the effort to become who he ordained us to become. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, here we go, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. This is a part of the perfect will. We are seeing here that this is immovable. It is unchangeable. It can't be shaken loose. It's what God wants. We're called here. We're called to be conformed to the image of the Son. That is the key. That is the pursuit. That is the perfect will. That's the because why? Because it is the eternal. It is what is eternal. Being conformed into image is eternal. Oh my goodness. Romans 12. I'm going to go back to my slides in just a second. Just throwing this out here, Romans 12 and 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the, ruin, the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. Oh my goodness. I want to be in the perfect will of God. Renew your mind. I want to be in the perfect will of God. 
Live the life you are ordained to live in him. Choose according to an eternal pattern. What choices are you making in your life that taps into eternity? <laughs> you guys. What is what leans on the eternal side and what leans on the life side? What's temporary? What, what can shake up and go and blow in a different direction? What is eternal is what we need to focus on. Oh, my God. He said, then you will be able to test and approve what is, what is God's will. See, when we make perfect will a religion, it's never enough. All we do is fight ourselves, struggle with these crazy prayer lives that just don't make any sense. I'm sorry I said that. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. Because religion is the enemy of freedom. And a lot of us can't help it because we were raised in it. I mean, you are pursuing God with everything in you, every ounce of you, everything you know to do in this moment. You have counsel, and, and, and if you're, you have wisdom, you have counsel, you have, you have people around you, hopefully in a higher spiritual state than you are, that can speak into your life and that can give you direction. And all, listen, all God requires of us is a pure heart. You renewing your mind in him and whatever decision you make in that moment, you have to trust that you have made the best decision. So, you know, I'm not talking about it today, but that part is on the permissible side. But we have to see what God is concerned about. And he's concerned with the perfect. He knows all the other stuff happens. He makes room for those things. He makes allowances for it. He makes, I don't know of any person that makes the absolute per perfect decision, but I know a whole lot of people that obsess over this whole concept of a perfected will in a temporal world where we have no control over anything. But what is perfect is what God has promised. Just don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, wow. Listen, Psalm 115, 2-4. This is said in more than one place. There's more scriptures on the will of God than what I shared with you today. Um, there's not a whole lot um, that we can do and in, 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 in keep going through these scriptures like this today. But when we tie together the next session, it's going to make perfect sense. Psalm 115, 2-4. 
Why should the nation say, where now is their God? I'm going to say this a different way. I'm going to say it this way. God, I need answers to this situation I'm facing right now. Where are you? God, I need to know what to do right now. Where are you? The perfect says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The perfect says, keep your eyes on Jesus. These are the, the perfect has not changed. Are you guys following? The perfect has not shifted. What should the nation say? Where now is their God? But our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. I don't mean to read verse four, but verse three, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. So on this one side, God has a perfect plan all lined up, everything that he said he was going to do. And he does not move from the things that he has called and declared perfect. He does not move. So we need to solidify that in our hearts and minds. But on this other side right here, there are other things, the cares of life, the things we struggle with, the decisions we make, and we cry out to him, Whatever he decides to do in those situations or however those situations move, I don't even want to use the terminology, whatever he decides, because there are some things that just happen in this life that we utterly have no control over, resulting from the decisions of other people. God can have a perfect plan. Oh, man, but if you make a choice that is outside of that perfect plan, that contradicts what pleases him and what is good. It sets a domino effect in order. And other people suffer. It's not just you who suffer, but other people suffer. And that's the part we're getting to now. And then we're gonna be, let's see, we're gonna be near the end of this. Hold on one second. Just wanna go here. Walking in the perfect will of God means your choices and decisions grow from your immersive place in the Father. All we have is this moment to make the best choice we can with the intel we have. And sometimes we have to make decisions and choices in split seconds because of circumstances and situations. But there's this whole perfect will over here. Then there's everything else. But what we're trying to get through, get to is an immersive place in God. And I pray that each one of you can tap into an immersive place. We're at different stages in our lives. And hopefully there are people along the way that can help guide us, that can give us counsel and insight. And it helps us make better decisions, helps us make better choices. But in the, in, in the perfect place, you know, in eternity, we already know what the will of God is. But in this earth, you and I walking around, living every day, moment by moment, we're having to decide. We're having to figure things out. But if we are immersed and we're giving God everything we have, he says that you're able to test and prove. So that means sometimes I got to try some stuff out to see if it's going to work. 
it's okay to, to, to um, try this. And if that doesn't work, maybe I need to try something else. But this religious place that we've put it in, I mean, we have people that, that, that want perfect will for eating. Perfect will for choosing a job. Perfect, I mean, everything. Oh my God, how did we get here? Listen, next slide, and we're one slide from this being over. (laughs) I want you to see today, or I want you to consider that the perfect will of God is greater than just an individual. There is an eternal side to it. And we must always be cognizant of that when we're looking for God's will in things, even in the little things, there's an eternal side. We have to see that um, the perfect will of God, in my view of what the scripture teaches and what we've talked about today, that is beyond our circumstances. Because listen, I have things happening in my life. You have things happening in your life. And is there a perfect will for it? (laughs) I mean, Seriously. But we're on the temporal side in dealing with the cares of life. But the perfect will is rooted in eternal intention, eternal outcomes. It's settled on divine plans. It is a place of eternal agreement. It's the perfect will of God. We, <laughs> the perfect will of God for our lives are those areas where we jointly agree on what is eternal. I do not know what just happened, but there go those little lines again. The power of choice and the consequences or rewards of our choices and decisions influence our course and position in God's perfect will. Perfect will has more to do with where you stand in your relationship and your pursuit of God than it does in you trying to figure out what to do today. Why? Because if our pursuit is one of Christ, and the scripture showed us this that we just read, if our pursuit is of Christ, then we're giving our very best to our decisions. I mean, I have tough choices to make every day. And I'm giving my best in those choices. But I'm doing that knowing that what I'm doing is pleasing to God. Perfect will is focused on what is eternal, immovable, what is settled. So God, I know I have to make this choice today. And it's a very difficult, very difficult choice. But I'm going to make that choice and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because I know that I am your son. I know that I am your daughter. I know that I'm making the best possible choice that I can from my righteous position in you. Permissive will, which we will discuss later, is based on God allowing us. It's about free will. I think I should have just said that. It's more about, it's still along the lines of our free will, the freedom to choose and decide. It is that place of free will, even when we don't choose him. 
But Psalm 139.8, if I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. I only shared this scripture to tell you that the perfect remains perfect. The, the perfect will of God never changes, even when we do. So our goal is to ascend. Our goal is to constantly ascend whatever challenge we face, whatever decision that is there, we have to make the best choice that we can in our ascended place. We have to make the best choice in our ascended place. It's when we're in our descended places, when our, in our lower places where we're not trusting God, where we're not relying on him, that, that we tend to struggle with what is your perfect will? What is your permissive will? Oh my gosh. I just pray that you guys got the heart of the premise of this today because so many people are fighting with the, with the perfect will of God like it's a religion. And it's causing them so many spiritual problems. They're condemning themselves when things don't work out. Things don't go their way. They're turning and angry and mad. But when we can understand what the perfect will is, we'll know where to compartmentalize or place everything else. So Father, I just thank you for this teaching today. I thank you for um, just guiding this first lesson and helping us move into a place of better understanding, different thinking, a way of possibly considering um, the perfect will of God from what we have been taught. Well, well, I wouldn't even say so much is taught, but what we have seen demonstrated and what has been programmed into us over the years. Lord, what we have looked for people to be perfect, for situations to line up exactly right. And you never promised any of that. You never promised any of it. What you promised was that there was an eternal perfect will that you had. And what you promised us in this temporary life that we have, God, is that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us. You promised us that we will have the guidance of Holy Spirit. You promised us that we will have counsel and that we would have wisdom. You promised us that we will have a community, a loving community that could help undergird us. We have people, Father, looking to, to move and relocate and to make decisions. And Lord, you're just waiting on them to make a choice based on their immersive place on the inside of you. But yet the religious part, the, the, the mindset that thinks you're supposed to just, boom, this is how it goes and that's perfect. Not understanding that we are to test and we are to prove and we are to kind of walk and work things out as we ascend. Father, I just ask that you help us to, to not be so um, stiff, that we can relax as a people 
and that we can um, recognize that we're not under this scrutiny, this, this intense microscope with this laser beam where you're pointing everything. And if we make a mistake, you're going to leave us. Father, we just ask for this religious stronghold to come down in Jesus' name. Father, that we mature and that we grow into trusting you because that's where the secret to your will lies. It grow, it lies in our maturity and it lies in our personal relationship with you. Father, I thank you that I can navigate a little bit better than now than I could 15 years ago. In some areas, my trust is greater. In some areas, it's not. That's all of us, God. Give us peace in knowing that your word, your perfect will says you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And that we, God, we declare we're not going to lead or live or be guided out of our emotions. We're not going to be robots, but we're not going to let our emotions rule us. We're not going to let feelings rule us. We're going to allow the spirit that lives on the inside of us to be our eternal guide. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So, oh, Dr. K is here. Hi, everybody. I didn't even see any of your comments. So, LA, you've been tracking, haven't you? So, listen, I'm going to open it up. But I want you to be encouraged today. I know that religion has made a mockery out of the perfect will of God, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. The hard, 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 can't do anything, anything, anything until I know the perfect will. I understand that. But some some things, when we get to the permissible part, are just subjective. They're just trial and error. They're just learning. They're building. So, um... That's it. I'm trying to figure out where everybody, how can I? Oh, hold on. 